from Quite the Thing Media. Hello and welcome to What A Maneuver Podcast. My name is Ross Thompson and today I have another special guest for um, the interview sessions I have. And today's very special guest is the one and only British independent wrestling star, Gareth Angel. Hello Gareth, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to, uh, to have a good old chat. Well, today the questions are mostly going to try to be cross the line between both your character and your your um your real life per your own personality. So, yeah, beware with the questions. So, just to let you know that. So, first of all, really straightforward. The usual question, but it's always interesting because everyone has a different story. But what got you into wrestling? Um, well, I would say it was my fandom as a child. Um, mm-hmm. I I looked at wrestling as, as an escape as a kid to kind of get away from the day-to-day stuff of life and, and what was happening um, in my childhood. Um, but it was one match particularly that I can remember being the one that really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And it was Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon, WrestleMania 10, the Intercontinental title ladder match. Um, and it was just, I think it was just something about Shawn even though he was the heel and the bad guy, mm-hmm. it was just something mm-hmm. about him that I just was drawn to, and I just couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. And I remember watching the match and just loving the way that Razor threw his punches mm-hmm. and the way they were using the ladder as not only a weapon but like just the whole match was just built around this 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 threat of using the ladder on each other and trying to climb it and the tension it built. And um, you know, I was cheering Sean on all the way. Um, although I shouldn't have been, <laughs> but I just, I, I loved it. And I came away from that match thinking like, wow, that was just amazing. And, and was just captivated. And then I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of learn more about these other characters, like who was Bret Hart and who was Yokozuna and Lex Luger and the undertaker and all these other, other characters. Um, and then I just found myself gripped. And then I'm really an attitude era guy, Steve Austin, the rock, the Hardy boys, mm-hmm. um, Triple H, like all these guys coming up, so I kind of grew up with that as like my main, um, my main era of wrestling, and then early two thousands, you know, big fan of Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. big fan of, um, you know, John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, mm-hmm. these guys all coming through, um, and I, I yeah, I've, I've always been hooked. Um, I think just as much on the characters and the storytelling as the physicality, but um, yeah, it's a massive escape for me, and I, and I still watch it today. I love it. Is it that is that the specific point where that you fell in love and you can't look back? Was that match, or was there a point in time where you flicked on the TV and just was like, "I love this. This is amazing." Oh, it was certainly that match. That match was the thing mm-hmm. that hooked me. I'd kind mm-hmm. of seen bits of it because my cousin watched it all the time with his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, they watched a lot of WCW as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I was, I kind of saw a few bits and thought, "Oh, what is this?" and mm-hmm. kind of. I'd seen Hulk Hogan and I'd seen a few other different things and people talked about it at school, but it wasn't until that one match that I remember going, yeah, this is it. I love this. And so now, then me and my cousin would get together and watch it together. Um, 
and then we practice the moves on each other and play the video games and talk about it at lunch break at school. Like that was that was it for us. Like as, as Gaz and Tom, we were just wrestling mm-hmm. mad. Um, and we loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to speak about your journey into wrestling, but ov- obviously, I know you from the wrestling scene as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I do consider you a friend. It's I was just one. I just want to talk about obviously me and you knowing each other for quite a long time. I remember the first time we met was in a, one of the RWL shows down yeah. south, and I can't remember a specific specific one. But I, w- I wasn't wrestling you, but you you definitely caught the eye because you not just you weren't per se diff, different. Like when you just look at you one look, look up at once, but you your personality was the one thing that caught my eye when I was there um but what what's your memories uh, if you remember meeting when meeting me the first uh well meet us meeting for the first time not just yeah. me but our meeting so I, I i remember the show vividly because um i nearly broke my back in the rumble <laughs> it was mm. crazy um i i remember being at that show and mm. for me it was you know this is the dream being realized mm-hmm. a lot of jitters a lot of um nervousness um, but also like a, a quiet confidence because I kind of, I'd been training for a little while. I'd say maybe, maybe six or seven months at this point mm-hmm. and I'd had a few matches in training and I very much just wanted to just get out there and get mm-hmm. stuck in. And so I remember coming into this rumble match and, you know, being in there with the guys that I trained with and practicing a few different spots. And then I remember getting lost quite early on. It's like, oh, hang on a second. I've done my bit. Now what? <laughs> kind of come in. I'd done my stuff, and it was like, well, what, what do I do now? And it was a case of just being beaten up until it was my my spot to get eliminated. Um, mm-hmm. And then I remember getting thrown over the top rope, and my back because I kept I kept a hold of the top rope, and as I came back around, my back just smacked off the side of the ring, and then I hit the deck on the floor, and then got dragged into this very small room around the back. Um, oh yes, yeah. it was tiny. Um, and as I came in, I just stood straight up, and I was like, that was amazing. That was so good, and. Mm-hmm was like, oh, I now need to go back out and watch the rest of the show and, and just mm-hmm. enjoy it. But I, I loved it. And I remember I remember meeting you because mm-hmm. I thought straight away, I was like, this guy is such a kind, softly spoken man who just come across so nice. And then I saw you in the ring and I was like, wow, that's how you flip a character. <laughs> that's how you turn it on. And mm-hmm. and just seeing you go, I was like, wow, like, that's awesome. Um, but as well, you know, wrestling is 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 it's a fraternity, it's a brotherhood, it's mm-hmm. it's a group of people who, you know, should love one another, should care about each other, should uh, trust and respect each other. And I always came into wrestling with that mentality, and so I always mm-hmm. gave that if I received it and, and vice versa. Um Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that I, I instantly saw in you was, oh, this guy respects me. He's never met me, but he respects me and he's nice to me. And I was like, cool. Like, that's that's what I expect everyone to be like. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, that's not the case, but, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you certainly were. Um, you certainly mm-hmm. were just, just a lovely guy to me. I, I, I... Right, as you said that, bring him back. I, I don't. I think I was in that rumble, but I, I make, make sure that I, it wasn't me that threw you out because I was nowhere. I think I was nowhere near you at that point in time. I did see you go over, but yeah. I was like, you, you were I, in the rumble because um, mm. I actually jumped on your back and you threw me mm-hmm. off. 
the whole spot mm-hmm. when you came in was a bunch of us were going to attack you one after the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just batted them all down. And then it was me left. And I was like, right, I'm coming at you. And you just got me up on your shoulders and you did the whole aeroplane spin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you threw me down. And then I got jumped by by Lee Garvin. And me and him worked uh-huh. a little bit. Um, yeah. That was the guy I, I enziguried out. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that uh, that was some memory, man. Uh, I had uh, not that I'd forgotten. It was just because I thought we'd met before that. But if that that's both both our memories, we may have met socially before that. But I in wrestling terms, that was probably as the first time we met. I think so. Yeah. Um, but that that room was the tiniest thing and you stuck guys in there who were huge and some of them, some of the guys have moved on. I mean, uh, one of the boys that was there, Jack Ray, um, is now uh, Rip Fowler. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's one of, so we, we were on the same show as him. I think he, I he was in his own match. I think he was kept away from the Rumble. Um, yeah. But we, I certainly didn't, did enjoy like because I could see your personality come out while we were doing the rumble, and a lot of the guys. I'm not. I mean, I like loads of the guys. They get good personality socially, but try to engage that personality within the ring. is mm. hard. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Corey said to me quite early on as as one of the coaches was, mm. and this was one of the reasons why he said I should come to RWL. He said like, mm-hmm. I'd been doing a bit of backyard wrestling. And he'd seen mm. some of my stuff on YouTube and he said, you've got all the physical attributes that you need. Like you can, you can bump, you can do moves, you can, you know, throw, throw a punch without mm. connecting all that kind of stuff. But he said, but what, what you've got that a lot of people don't have is that, that charisma, that character, that personality that you can bring out and you can bring mm. people along the ride. And so he was like, that's the hardest thing to teach. Cause either you've got it or you don't. Um, mm. And so, like, you know, you're saying that same thing there. You're saying, like, well, yeah, you, your personality came out in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been my strongest um, my strongest skill um, as a wrestler, even 11, 12 years later, is that um, I can get a crowd to boo me or, or cheer me quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And my wrestling moveset hasn't really ever been more than, I'd say, 12 moves because <laughs> it hasn't needed to be because the emotional mm-hmm. connection's been there and that's that's been the driving force. So um yeah. So as we touched on there with uh, like like a part of the journey, um but, but obviously um there's steps before that, like you finding a proper wrestling school. Um I I know you touched on backyard wrestling, but mm. I know a lot of pro wrestlers frown upon that. So how mm. did you manage to find a way into obviously doing the pro pro wrestling side of things like your first training school and how did you get into uh how did you find it and when i say find it i mean actually find it like physically find it (laughs) yeah and then how was it and and during the training how was on your how how did you take it because some people don't always take it take well to it some people are ducked to water some people are in between yeah so um the journey there was um like i mentioned just now you know backyard wrestling with my cousin uploaded a few things online and it was a message 
sent to my inbox on YouTube saying, Hey, look, mm-hmm. you should, you should try out a pro school. Um, and then I connected up with a guy called, uh, Kevin Omega, who mm-hmm. was based in Bradford with me. And we, we'd done some work together and he was like, Oh, I go to this training school in Blackburn, RWL, mm-hmm. we should go together. Um, and it was a case of the pair of us getting on a bus, a mega bus from Bradford to, mm-hmm. to Blackburn on a Saturday to go do the training. Um, and when I first walked in, I remember the school being, it's in this like giant warehouse and you go up like three flights of stairs and you go in this room and it was freezing cold. And, um, <laughs> there was this ring with like no skirts on the mat board a bit in the middle. The ropes were a little loose in places. In fact, I don't even think they had turnbuckle covers on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there wasn't even a middle rope <laughs> like, and, and it was, it was rough and ready. I think it's mm-hmm. probably the best way to put it, you know, and there were guys there, you know, I, I could talk about Jay and, and the Baron bros um, mm-hmm. and, and Corey, obviously um, who, and, and Lewis O'Brien, all these guys who are actually like really good. Like, mm-hmm. I, I saw them doing their stuff and I'm like, wow, like these guys have really come on mm-hmm. really quick, tight workers doing some really experimental stuff getting a bit crazy. Like Jay, for instance, was doing corkscrew moonsaults before I saw anybody else doing them um, and thought, wow, this guy's athletically gifted to a different degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, and I, and I saw, you know, most of these guys had been doing backyard and wanted to, tra- to transition into pro mm-hmm. and, you know, you kind of learning to do it the right way. Cause I had mm-hmm. no one teach me how to, how to throw a punch. I'd kind of self-taught mm-hmm. it. You know, I didn't have anyone mm-hmm. teaching me how to do a suplex. I just watched the animation mm-hmm. on the video game and copied it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I was now learning about posting and I was now learning mm-hmm. about running the ropes correctly and your footwork and stomping the mat and, and all these other little, little bits like back bumps mm-hmm. and flip bumps and side bumps and all these different things that I was naturally doing, mm-hmm. but was maybe kind of slightly off. So it was just a case of tweaking, a case of refining some of this stuff and then starting to put it all together. And when it all started clicking, mm-hmm. it was kind of, na- I was 90% of the way there and it was just getting these final bits worked out and then it all started to click. And then it was a case mm-hmm. of finding myself as a character within that and how and how do I evolve and grow as a character and, and not just steal all the rocks moves because I'm a massive rock fan. And don't just steal Jeff Hardy's look because I'm a massive Jeff Hardy fan, you know. It's like, how, how do I find Gaz within this, and who is Gaz? Who's who, who's this angel character? What does he represent? What's his motivation? How does his move set reflect that? Mm-hmm. What can I do? What can't I do? What am I comfortable taking? What am I uncomfortable taking? Um, and and just starting to kind of flesh that out, and a lot of that had to come through practice. It had to come through working with more experienced guys and asking questions and listening and going to shows and setting up the ring and understanding how the ring works and, and going to different promotions and meeting different wrestlers, mm-hmm. um, which was great because Kev had a lot of contacts um, in and around the scene. He'd been wrestling for a little while. So although I went to training with him mm-hmm. in Blackburn, I'd often go to shows with him too. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my introduction to other places locally. Um, and then I found Grapple in Leeds, which was another training school that had, that had been set up there. Um, and so I did, I did some, some training there and, and worked a couple of shows, um, in Sheffield for them. And then mm-hmm. I also came into contact with, um, KGW who had a training mm-hmm. school just outside of Batley. 
Um, so I went and did a few sessions with them and did a few shows with them. Um, same way TNT in Castleford. Um, and then there was another local one, um, which was Kev had set up his own promotion in, in Saltaire, which is where I live now, actually, mm-hmm. um, at Victoria Hall. And he was running some events. And so he booked Corey and a bunch of the guys from, from RW well on those. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so I got to be a part of that and work that as well. So I started picking up all these promotions and training schools and different teachers and different wrestlers and mm-hmm. all these other contacts. And then before I knew it, I was, you know, I was working shows all the time and I was off, mm. um, <laughs> off to the races, getting my own gear made and, and Gareth Angel became a thing. And, and, you know, 12 years later, still kicking butt. <laughs> it must've been, because uh, I remember uh, Omega, um, we, we, I was supposed to wrestle for 21 CW. Yeah, I that's what that was, we did, yeah. I was supposed to, because he had he opened a training, a training in uh, actually Preston at first. I, I think this was before, either before or uh, before, before you I met him. Yeah, mm-hmm. because uh, I I trained with him and it was I was supposed to to do. It. I mean, it's been a been a few times we've had near misses where the fact is we were supposed to be involved wrestling and uh, just never materialized. Yeah. Because uh, the last time, last time I saw you, uh, were both wrestling on the same show. Um, I cost you in your match, and we we're supposed to lead on to a feud, but one thing led to another, and it never materialized. Yeah, yeah, but, that's been a shame, hasn't it? Because I, I, I've always, I've always said that, you know, big man matches are my favorite, and working mm-hmm. with guys like your size, I, I really enjoy, and um. You know, having met you so early on in my career and someone who I thought, you know, such a nice guy, mm. I've always been like, oh, yeah, I'd love to work a match with you um, because mm. I, I know I could do it well. And then I know that we could probably put on a, an amazing match together. And that's sometimes what it is, isn't it? As a, as a performer and as an artist, essentially, mm-hmm. there's, there's mm. certain things, certain stories that grip you, certain matchups that grip you, certain styles mm. that you prefer. And, um, a match with you was certainly one that quite early on for me was a bit like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Like that'd mm-hmm. be great. But yeah, like you say, it's just never materialized, unfortunately. No, no. Um, well, hopefully in the future, once everything seems to clear up for, uh, for myself and you get five minutes to yourself, it yeah. might actually, <laughs> it might actually have happen. Um, so I, I, I've seen some of your stuff and I've seen you transition. You've been the same character gareth angel for a lot a long time yeah but you're it's evolved over the years um and to the point where it's almost pretty much yourself am i correct yeah yeah that that was yeah long-term goal was i often heard some of the best wrestlers in the world talk about their characters being Mm -hmm. themselves turned up to 11 Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay well how do i achieve that um Mm -hmm. and a lot of it has has been kind of thinking about how I would naturally react to whatever else is going on. And I think when you get to that point, if you can bring more of yourself into your character, it just becomes more natural. You know, the way that you react becomes natural. Your your selling becomes more natural. And I think the more of you you bring in, the easier it is because you're not trying to portray something else. You're not continually turned on. Um, like I often think, 
you know, like a character like the Undertaker, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's that's been such a, a stalwart of the wrestling world for so long. But actually, mm-hmm. it's not really who Undertaker is at all, you know, like mm-hmm. as a person. So I'm it's thinking... Probably, it's probably like a, a, a section of his, uh, his personality, but not the full personality. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Whereas, like, someone like Shawn Michaels, I think, is probably more closely to his actual personality that mm. that's probably what got him over and you can see that how that's changed over the years himself you mm. know with mm. with his own faith journey and, and how he's changed as a person over the years i've got both of his books like really good reads mm. um but you can certainly see that the 1990s Shawn mm. michaels who would stick the canadian flag up his nose and and wind up an audience versus mm. the 2010s 2012 Shawn michaels you know who's who's kind of, you know, praying in his entrance and doing all the rest mm. of that. It's just so much more natural to him that he doesn't have to think about that. You know, I'm just being me. I don't have to think about how I'm using my words or the, the, the you know, I, I've often met guys who try to put on accents, you know, like, oh, mm. I'm going to be a German wrestler. So I'm going to speak in German or put a German accent mm. on. And I immediately think, unless you can do that really well, it's probably not going to work out. Um, that, that's, that's thinking about I, it all the time. That's why I had a manager because I was so soft spoken. <laughs> it kind of ruins the gimmick. Yeah, yeah, and and like again, you know, I I always I felt this about Brock Lesnar originally when I first heard mm-hmm. him speak. I thought, no wonder they put Paul Heyman with him because him speaking, it was like such a high pitched little voice at first that you just thought, oh, he's not that scary anymore, no matter how big and mean he looked, it, it, and so. Again, it, you know, I've got my own training school now in Bradford and we, mm. we're training up our own wrestlers. Um, mm. The gimmick and the character, I think, is so much more important than people give it credit for. Like, mm. it's so much more. I, I totally agree. Because most of the wrestling schools I, I've been to focus on, focus primarily on the in-ring. Um, and I'm not saying it's not important, but mm-hmm. when you're going to go on to shows, I feel the character is the, the 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 quintessential part that hooks the fans. You can be the greatest technical wrestler in the world, but without that personality, and I, I don't think you hook people. No, no, I agree, and I think you know you've got um, there's so many different things at play there that mm-hmm. are you setting people up to fail if you don't give them that groundwork as well. Mm. So like, I completely understand how you need to learn, you know, the basics and the fundamentals and you need to be able to do them extremely well because mm-hmm. it's the safety of yourself and your opponent, obviously. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's, you've got to do that. But when you're then ready, it shouldn't be a case of, right. Okay. Off you go. You're on shows. Now you're doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there needs to be, okay, well, who are you and mm-hmm. how do you, portray that character how does your move set mm-hmm. fit with that you know if you're going to be a, a lumbering giant you're not going to be doing moonsaults mm-hmm. you know like you said mm-hmm. um you know you could do it in security but you're never going to throw it out all the time because it's not mm-hmm. what what would work so mm-hmm. there's there's got to be an element of of being prepared on all fronts rather than putting out you know the the a poorer version of yourself mm-hmm. um and i think i've seen far too many examples of that um locally particularly in yorkshire um mm. there's there's certain promotions i'm not going to name names 
um, where <clears throat> their shows are primarily full of trainees and they're all wearing T-shirts and they're all wearing Sports Direct shorts and Venom kick pads and it's it's wrestler A who's creepy with face paint versus wrestler B who's creepy with face paint. And it's like, how have any of these people got any personality that they don't and they don't look like wrestlers and they don't and i'm not saying physically i'm saying like just what they're wearing they don't look like wrestlers they look like kids running around in a 20-foot ring you know i remember when uh the last time i I, we were wrestling the same same area uh, that you said to me because because of the gear i was wearing it, it didn't look too right for like it looked like I could have been Joe Boggs off the street, but I I was trying to explain to you. I'm a monster. Um, that yeah, I understand it. It doesn't look right, but I thought at that point in time, because of the way the character was, it, it fit it. Because mm. I mean, Undertaker came out in jeans. I, I I'm not comparing myself to Undertaker, but it's the only person I can like. I mean, even John Cena came out in jorts. Uh, I mean, you can name loads of other smaller wrestlers who came out and they sort of things uh okay so i'm I'm liking that we're getting into this discussion so the undertaker was established on tv for years and he could drive around a harley um in his entrance and he had television production and commentators telling you that that is the undertaker now and that's his gimmick and that's what he's doing whereas in a little independent show at a working men's club in the back ass end of nowhere with mm-hmm. with no um with no commentators with no tv production mm-hmm. uh with a card full of other people who look similar mm-hmm. wearing similar um mm-hmm. you get lost in the shuffle uh, yeah no no i agree with that i, I do and, agree I, with that and i think you know even even john cena yeah he wore jorts but have you seen the man he's like chiseled from stone yeah, you yeah. know I, I wasn't just naming him, Coop, but I, I was just naming uh, the ones that could come to mind straight away. Yeah. But th- there is others who are probably on the same level who do the same. It's just they don't come to mind as readily as easily. An, an example I could give you, um, actually, mm-hmm. around this is um, Raven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Raven often wore band T-shirts and ripped jeans mm-hmm. and, like, a leather jacket and all that kind of stuff. Um because he was on TV and presented as a professional wrestler and he was doing professional wrestling moves and nobody else looked like that then, it mm-hmm. stood out and actually it worked to his benefit. But if you took Raven as that character then and you mm-hmm. placed him into an independent show now with oh, younger out. guys, he would not stand out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would just look like Joe Bloggs off the street. Mm-hmm. And that that is a that is a far cry and a shame because Raven is one of the greatest minds in wrestling and was mm-hmm. so ahead of his time with his character work and and the way that he was mm-hmm. kind of tapping into this nineties MTV generation with with Nirvana and mm-hmm. kind of having this grunge outlook. Um, himself and Brian Pillman were kind of two sides mm-hmm. uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, I I mm-hmm. thought yeah amazing, but um. Yeah, like I, I, if I wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. I could walk up to a show um, mm-hmm. with with Lonsdale training boots on, mm-hmm. some knee pads, mm-hmm. some elbow pads, a t shirt that's cut cut the sleeves off, and some uh, some shorts, and look just like everyone else. And mm-hmm. and it's like that. There's no there's no differentiation that between mm-hmm. between me. No, 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 no. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying. It's just. It's one of my. It's one of my bugbears. I think. No, um, no, no. I I had planned to wear other stuff, but they they didn't come in in time to do the show. So yeah, I had. I only had that, so I I could only do with what you make the best of what you got. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, when I say this stuff, it isn't. It isn't to kind of put anyone down. It's to. It's to kind of say, hey, look, like here's an opportunity for you to be different mm-hmm. and to stand out because that's what mm-hmm. people are looking for. You know. Um, if I were to go into that that's that place mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier um, as a creative mind, I would immediately get them all working on on gear designs that mm-hmm. were not just t-shirts and, and shorts. Um, and a lot of the time, it comes down to affordability. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm going to be honest, wrestling gear is not cheap. Decent quality mm-hmm. wrestling gear is not cheap, and there's not many places these days that are doing it as much as they were, you mm-hmm. know, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously driven prices up and you've got a long time to wait for some stuff. Like, you know, I, I ordered some trunks um, to mm-hmm. debut within April, um, which were like mm-hmm. white and I didn't get them till September, but I ordered them in February. So it's kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it took a long time to get them. Um, and, and luckily I, I had, you know, a pair of purple and a pair of green and kit pad covers and other stuff. So I was okay. I still had gear. But um, I wanted this white gear, particularly for this one match, which I had a massive story angle to tell in, and, and I was going to change from green to white and do a resurrection mm-hmm. thing and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And I wanted them for that, but I didn't get them till September. Um, mm-hmm. But like, and even then it was a day of the show, which is even mm-hmm. crazier. Um, mm-hmm. So it's so like... You can, you can, un- you can understand, yeah. you have to make the best of what you've got. I mean, totally, when, we yeah. first started, when we first started out, I did stand uh, with the gear I had. I did stand out because of the way everybody else was. I mean, mm. quite a lot of them weren't as large as me, so they probably couldn't get away with it. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's a benefit you had as well. Was you were you were a physically dominating presence, so mm. you know whatever whatever you wore, you would have still stood out head and shoulders, literally above most of the people there because of how tall mm. and big you were. Um, whereas you know, in some of these other places, they're all just young kids. They're all about the same body size. They've all got the same haircut. Uh, they're all running around doing the same moves. And it's just a bit like, uh, yeah, it's all a bit samey-samey. So, like, sure. I want to I teach our trainees but to be ready before they debut. Like, I don't want them debuting until they've got a character and they've got gear and they've, mm-hmm. you know, got their move set down and we've got a story for them to come into. And Because, we, you know, we run regular shows once a month. So we've got that. The best example I can put is like uh, you know how like in Japan sometimes you watch they come out in black boots, black trunks, black tape. Like mm. you know, obviously they guys grow into characters like you 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 see them grow, but they they come out in the black trunks, black uh, things, and you you don't feel a personality. That was what I, I was I was trying to get out what we were trying to speak about. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a shame because. Mm-hmm that's where you then get into these phenomenal wrestlers mm-hmm. who get lost in the shuffle and never really succeed because there's just no personality there. And and that's everything from the way that they act and their personality as a person, but also just the way that they look um, like they could be the best wrestler in the world, but actually would they mm-hmm. ever succeed on a weekly TV program where you need emotional investment from a crowd mm-hmm. when you are just black boots, black trunks, black tape, and you can do 16 mm-hmm. variations of a suplex. It doesn't. That doesn't engage. That doesn't engage an audience as much anymore. So, adding on to that, 
I, I always fascinated what, like, even in just in gear or um, in your character, what was the inspirations, like, for, like, your character? So, originally, um, I wanted to go down the route of um, an idea of a phoenix bird and being able to kind of, mm. like, resurrect and thinking, well, if I ever lose a match, I can play on this phoenix mm. thing and I'm going, I'm going to come mm. back stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led me to thinking about, okay, getting like a phoenix bird on my gear, mm. looking at wings and fire. And I've always loved purple. So purple's mm. like my favorite color. And when I looked at phoenix birds, mm-hmm. actually the original like drawings of them were purple and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, because of their affiliation with fire, they've been changed to more red and orange colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of changed over, over the years. But originally they were purple and blue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, perfect, I've got it. So I was going to be the Phoenix Gareth mm-hmm. Angel um, mm-hmm. and thought, right, that'll work. Um, and then got the gear made with the with the purple wings and and the flames at the top. And I was wearing like, um, <laughs> kind of, what were they? They weren't they weren't necessarily like spandex. They were more mm-hmm. kind of um, like pleather. pleather. Pleather, yeah. It was like pleather, pleather baggy pleather pants. Um and, I, and and then I thought, well, I want to put some of my faith into it as well. So I put, I put a cross on there because that's just, just basic, right? Um, so I had the cross on there too. And they those pants, they they stood out. I, I will say that because not many people were wearing pleather when I first started. I think I was on the back end of pleather kind of coming out of fashion. Because so I think just before I came in, Jody Fleisch was wearing pleather. Um, and all these other guys were. I think even Corey did. Um, mm-hmm. but, but like people had stopped it. And I wrestled with those pleather pants. I've still got them um, mm-hmm. for about two years. And at the end of the two years, I was like, I get so sweaty in these things every single time. And they're physically limiting. Like I weren't getting my mm-hmm. kicks as high as I could. Um, they started to wear a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I thought, all right, I'm going to change it up and switch to tra- to tights mm-hmm. um, with the same design on. Um, so mm-hmm. kept kept the exact same design, just tights, and then added in some boot covers um, mm-hmm. and got these really nice MMA kick guards. They were nice mm-hmm. and thick um, and mm-hmm. like wrapped around my calf because I had skinny little legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got like a like purple. I got purple covers for those. Um, and wore them on mm-hmm. like on top of the tights, and then that was a really nice look. And I did. I that do. For I do remember years. these two. I do remember these two because I couldn't. The first one that you debuted when we were at the 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 RWL show was, I I could almost get the, your your influence of Jeff Hardy in it. Oh yeah, there certainly was a Jeff Hardy influence. Um, there was a Shawn Michaels influence because I liked the pants mm-hmm. that he wore, so mm-hmm. I tried to kind of copy that at first. Um, then when I transitioned to tights, it was really from a flexibility standpoint and thought mm-hmm. I, I still wasn't comfortable with my body and with my legs out, but mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to have a bit more flexibility. But then like I started putting on a bit of weight around my waist mm-hmm. and the tights were becoming a problem because they kept kind of going mm-hmm. under my belly. My belly was coming over. So I thought I'm not comfortable with that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then kind of switched to trunks um, mm-hmm. And again, with the trunks, I kind of kept them purple. So it's always kept them mm-hmm. purple with like a, a cross and wings on the side, kind of mm-hmm. similar to where like Randy Orton has like his designs on the side. And mm-hmm. then angel across my butt. Again, like like Randy Orton had angel across mm-hmm. his 
mm-hmm. or he had Orton across his back in in like the tattoo writing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a nice look. And then I got some really decent thick knee pads, mm-hmm. um, and then kept the boot covers the same. Um, and so then that that became my look. And mm-hmm. then I got this idea of doing a T-shirt, um, mm-hmm. which was a play on um, Brock Lesnar's um, what mm-hmm. was it? Um, Eat, sleep, break the streak. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought, well, how do I put a Christian twist on that? And I went mm-hmm. with pray, eat, wrestle, repeat um, and got that on the front. And then I mm-hmm. kind of started wearing that in matches. And that just kind of made me feel more comfortable about my body because it was covered a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember I, I do remember seeing that in uh, some of the stuff. Because uh, I, I obviously I do keep I keep an eye on see how my friends are doing and I make sure yeah. I like to see them doing very well because it, it's always nice to see the people who that have been really quite nice to you doing them very well mm. um, and showing that I mean um, I mean I I've seen you're talking about your faith and obviously that's play, playing a massive role in your whole life at the moment. Yeah. Um, and do you want me to tell us quite a wee bit more about that side of things? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so it's interesting, like my my faith journey and my wrestling journey both kind of happened alongside each other and evolved and grew mm-hmm. together. So I'd I'd recently started attending a church in Bradford mm-hmm. when I started training at RWL. So mm-hmm. um, that was how I came into contact with with Kev. Was you know mm-hmm. we were working together and. You know, he he'd been he'd been through some stuff, and I kind of let him live with me for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, we talked a bit about faith and and church, and I've been going to church for a bit, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where the, the angel influence came from. Because before mm-hmm. then, I was I was crazy gas. I was like, that's what that was mm-hmm. my gimmick name was, um, and I, I I was pretty much just a Jeff Hardy ripoff with the promo style of the Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, as it changed and grew, once I knew what I was doing, it then became Gareth Angel. Mm-hmm. And as as I grew deeper in my faith and started to realize the impact that I could have in that world, I kind of realized as well that the impact goes both ways. And actually, as a Christian, how can I impact the wrestling world? Um, and that came down to things like, you know, being a nice guy, offering mm-hmm. to pray with people before matches. Uh, quoting Bible scripture, um, mm. you know, offering a helping hand and chatting to wrestlers at two a.m. if they're feeling depressed and stuff's going on, um, being mm-hmm. being an ambassador in that world for the Christian world, and that's actually kind of like saying you can be a Christian and a wrestler, and it's okay, um, mm. and you could be different and intriguing and not be a complete jerk and tell everyone if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Like I thought, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's stupid but people needed to come into contact with Christians in different walks of life. Like I know Christian bikers, powerlifters, comedians, magicians, mm-hmm. um, all of them out there going, how do I, how do I be a good ambassador for Christ and for mm-hmm. the Christian faith in my world? And that, you know, isn't just work and family. That's, that's your hobbies as well. And, and um, your sports that you, that, that you're at. So I thought, yeah, how can those two things work together? Um, and as time's gone on, you know, I found wrestling is, is a great hook for people. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity for people to come around something that they can, mm-hmm. you know, spend two hours watching a wrestling show and forget about the world. And mm-hmm. that's where this whole idea around 
you know, my, my ministry has come from mm-hmm. was how do we, how do we use wrestling in a way that can bring people together and then to give them something to think about and to, mm-hmm. to bring faith into a wrestling mm-hmm. show as though it's kind of like a church service. <laughs> um, I hope hopefully you don't take this the wrong way, but yeah. I'll make this clear. It's nothing like the dark ministry of like, we're taught like Undertaker. This is obviously ministry of like just a church and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it could have been very easily, easily kind of gone off down that route of like being mm-hmm. a cult leader uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a character. And I did do that at RWL for a little while, actually. Um, I think for, I came up came up with an idea for that with uh, you actually changing your name from Angel to Angelus just to kind of flip it on its head to kind of be something a wee bit different. Yeah, yeah, and and I wanted to play with that idea because it was like I I and I was a, I was a bad guy at the time as mm-hmm. well. I was a heel for them, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I'm not going to cheat to win. Like I wasn't about cheating, mm-hmm. but I I need to be a credible threat. So we came up with this idea where I would have a vision um, mm-hmm. of the way the match was going to go. And then I'd tell my opponent before, hey, look, if you don't lay down and let me pin you, then mm-hmm. um, I'm going to break your leg. <laughs> you know, that, mm-hmm. I've seen it in a vision. I'm going to break your leg. And um, they obviously, they don't lie down and we mm-hmm. get into the match. And at the end of the match, I break their leg and mm-hmm. the vision comes true. And then for two years, that's what we did every show. I said what was going to happen mm-hmm. and it happened. And so it was like, oh, hang on a second now. Angel is a credible threat because if he says I'm going to win the Rumble and I'm going to win the mm-hmm. title, there's a very good possibility that that's going to happen mm-hmm. because everything mm-hmm. else he said has happened. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't being evil, really. Mm-hmm. I, it was it was the it was the confidence and the arrogance of the case of, well, God has said mm-hmm. this is going to happen and it's going to happen. So I liked, I liked the storytelling element of that. More, mm-hmm. more so than the, than that. I'm a bad guy. It was more of a well. The crowd are going to hate me because I'm beating up good guys, not because what I'm doing is actually bad. Um, and that was that was the play on it. So that was really interesting. Are are you uh, just just curiosity? Are you um uh, like a minister or like uh like a youth pa- pa- pastor? I'm, I don't know the correct terminology, but mm. similar to that. So within the Church of England, I am mm-hmm. what's what's considered a lay minister. So mm-hmm. um, I a, a lay worship leader is what what they what they call it. So mm-hmm. essentially, I'm on my way to ordination, church leadership, um, mm-hmm. vicar, reverend, pastor. Like they all have different titles and different denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lead I lead a wrestling church with a team of people within the church of England. Um, but I'm not like officially a vicar, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have the title of, or the, what's the words I'm thinking of the gifts of a vicar. Like a vicar can do a wedding and a baptism and a funeral. I, I can't do any of those things. Um, but like, I am still leading a church. You can read a, read a sermon or whatever you say. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, I can deliver a sermon or a preach. I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, make decisions on on the way things are done, and you know, kind of lead a team of people to make things happen, mm-hmm. like worship, like live music, and the songs that we choose. And do, the do themes. you know? I believe, believe it or not, when I was like, kind of get get an idea of like your your path and your career, I actually didn't think you were ministry. I thought you were uh, part of like. Uh, like youth group, like helping young child, like 
um, young children within horrible situations. That's what mm. I thought you did. I'm, I'm not saying you didn't do that within your, yeah. the ministry, but I thought that was your you were with a, a, a charity at the start. But um, maybe I, I misconstrued that you were with um, that ministry all the time. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because I've I've done a bunch of different things in my time, and so it can be easy to kind of lose track of exactly what it is I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit of a maverick. Um, but essentially, when I first started out, um, it was a case of I I toured different churches. So, you know, this isn't just Church of England churches. This is Baptist churches, Elian churches. Um, and we were put on a wrestling show. And then I would share my, my life story in the middle of that um, and then wrestle about. And we would mm-hmm. we would invite people to find out more about the Christian faith, mm-hmm. um, and then they would then go on to something like a like they call them Alpha courses or Christianity Explored mm-hmm. courses, where they can like meet mm-hmm. regularly with the church and and figure that out and maybe get baptized down the line if mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that the official title for someone like that within churches mm-hmm. is uh, is an evangelist. So mm-hmm. you know I've got a gift of public speaking. Um, I do church talks and preaches all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I used to train people in how to do it, which has obviously helped with my wrestling stuff because a lot of it is mm-hmm. promo work in front of a live audience um, mm-hmm. and and studying the faith and studying the Bible and being able to tell an old Bible story in a new, exciting and engaging way. So that, mm-hmm. was, that was like where all my skills came into that. But then I then moved to this church in Bradford where we wanted to set up a wrestling school, so to teach mm-hmm. people how to do it. And an element of that is coaching, but not just coaching them in wrestling, but also like, well, how can I help you find a job if you're unemployed? How can I help you? Life skills, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, And then an element of that is, you know, well, let's look at your mental health, your physical health, your relational health, Mm. your financial health, Mm. and your spiritual health. Um, Mm. And is Christianity for you? Um, Mm. Is is it not? And if it isn't, don't worry about it. You're still part of the school. You're still part of what we're doing. that then steamrolled into taking over a Sunday service. Mm. And then we were like, oh, I think we could do something with this as a church. And so then that's mm. kind of where the idea was born. And, mm. you know, a year and a half later, we're running monthly shows. We've just been on the BBC. Mm. They've just done a documentary on us. Um, and you've been on a few few BBC interviews. I've seen uh, not just a wee documentary about, the, the, obviously, your church, but I've seen the actually there's been a few interviews with you directly about it. Yeah, so I was on uh, Jeremy Vine on BBC Radio mm-hmm. 2. Um, I did uh, BBC Radio Leeds, did Look North, mm-hmm. which is like our local news station. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done interviews for men's magazines, um, Salvation mm-hmm. Army magazines. Um, I've done talk sport radio, talk TV radio, Premier Christian radio. Um nice. So, and again, like all these are live, you know, <laughs> so there's no pre-records or all like that. Like it's just case of they call me similar to this. We have a chat and, um, and then it goes out live to people to listen to. Um, and my media skills like could come into play there. Um, but all of that has been great coverage, not just for, for me personally, but for the people we're training, for the wrestling church, for the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully for you know the wrestlers that we have on our shows, people are going to want to come and see that and be like, oh, now I know who Jack Johnson is. Now I know who Sean Orley is. Um, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen from your your uh, the videos you put up looked a bit crazy. I mean, it's like 
there's parts of it that are show, and then uh, not you directly, but you're with them while you're like like baptizing people into uh, into the in, uh, baptizing people um in baths. I think yeah. I, I saw one. I, I looked a bit crazy. I was like, "Are you having a, a water fight?" I apologize <laughs> if that's offensive. It's just oh, no. it, it looked a bit like that at one point. Yeah, so we um we have a baptismal pool. So that's the bath mm. you're thinking of. Um, mm. that we uh, we build at the side of the ring, and we have that mm. obviously full of water. Um, because you know a part a key part of the Christian faith is mm. is being baptized, and and mm. that is you know the the idea that when you're submerged in the water, you die to yourself and you come up out of the water reborn mm-hmm. as a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. Even Jesus got baptized in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he did it as an act of obedience. And so as Christians, we believe that we should do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to give people the opportunity to do it. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. let's just put the baptism pool at the side of the ring. And uh, if people want to get baptized, we'll, we'll baptize them. Um, and we just mm-hmm. thought, well, why not? And then we, you know, we've got a live band playing worship as well so you know we were like well most church services have worship so let's let's just put a a band at ringside and let's do it you know um the only difference is where the stage would be where people Mm -hmm. preach from we just got a wrestling ring and so i've got a funny wee story about um, uh, about like ministry and myself not your ministry but i'm at uh, a church here um was uh, my mum had passed away, and uh, I we were going to the church to meet the, the, the minister, who the friend of the family. Hmm. Uh, and I walk because I'm agnostic. Uh, I walked in, and uh, his response because of my uh, you remember my long hair, and my beard, and all that. He's yeah. like, he looked up at he looked up at the sky, like the sky in the church, and went, "The building's not falling down. You know that bad." <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, uh, I, I told them like the, the obviously music that I listened to as well as the, uh, the being involved in wrestling and they thought it would a quite cool, cool joke to say say, uh, say that to me. Yeah. <laughs> when I walked yeah. in, I, I must say we we are certainly breaking down some barriers. I think of what we're doing mm. um, in Bradford. Mm. I've had a lot of people come to me and say I never knew that wrestling and the church could coexist, and do it so well mm-hmm. um and a lot of christians ask me the questions when i'm doing these interviews and stuff they're like well where in the bible does it say anything about wrestling and mm-hmm. i was like well actually there is a story of jacob wrestling with god and god mm-hmm. breaking his hip and changing his name to israel um mm-hmm. but that's like a literal wrestling sense but actually mm-hmm. when you listen to church leaders a lot of the time they are talking about what we wrestle through mm-hmm in our mind and in our spirit when we're dealing with life and actually when we get to grappling with stuff grappling with you know and i'm sorry to hear about your mother passing away but that mm-hmm. must have been really tough for you and how do you quite a while ago now, but... yeah but still even in the moment mm-hmm. right how, how do you grapple with that that's not an easy thing to go through you you must have mm-hmm. wrestled with you know some thoughts and feelings you know oh, yeah, grieving sure. and mourning mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for some people in those processes, you know, I remember when I lost my grandmother, she was really close to me. Like you can sometimes project 
your anger mm-hmm. and hurt and feelings onto God. And be like, oh God, why did you let this happen? And mm-hmm. that is a part of grappling with your faith. Like that is a test of your faith. Mm-hmm. It's not God testing you, but but you're being tested because how do you remain faithful to a God mm-hmm. that is good when all you're experiencing is bad? And mm-hmm. so I'm like, well, if you read your Bible and you live life, you mm-hmm. are going to wrestle through stuff and grapple with stuff in ways that mm-hmm. that are going to be tough. And let's be honest, the Bible's full of murder and rape and death mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just some pretty horrible stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Cain and Abel, brothers that killed each mm-hmm. other. Like mm-hmm. there is there is so many stories in there that naturally mm-hmm. lend themselves to the professional wrestling world. Yes. David versus Goliath. Like how do you tell that story? It's told time and time and time again as a mm-hmm. big man. Mm-hmm. Someone will have told you your match is mm-hmm. like David versus Goliath, right? Yes, always. So, like, we've got those natural stories that we can tell. We do it in the mm-hmm. wrestling ring. We we have the match happen, and then we unpack it afterwards and mm-hmm. dig into the Bible a bit and talk about it in a more modern, relatable way. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And just, like, obviously, it's going to be different for you traveling up and down the road, but how how have you got any, like, nice cool tale nice tales or some like even just like like really like trials like basically just it seemed like one thing after another went wrong but you, you still got to the show and you still performed and it everything just seemed to go wrong but then you went to the show and you did it well and then like stuff like that if you get any stories because i always love the tales from the road yeah yeah um Oh man, it's trying to pick ones that are suitable for <laughs> suitable for younger audiences, um, and I don't want to get people into trouble either. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need uh, to name people; you just no, of course, generalize. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, there was this one time where um, I went to work a show in oh, where was it now? Featherston, which is like a tiny little place just outside of Leeds. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in a working men's club, like most of the shows that I used to do back when. And um, I was in there with uh, with uh, Tom Barron, mm-hmm. who's one of the Barron bros. And uh, so I know from RWL. And on the way to the venue, we got completely lost because we'd heard that it was this Feverson working men's club. But as we mm-hmm. got nearer to it, the sat nav kind mm-hmm. of took us around a back way. And then we got we got lost essentially, and it took us about an hour to actually find the place. And we should have got there at four, but we didn't get there till five. And doors opened at six, so I'm like, okay, we're here on time. That's fine. Turns out the other guys also got lost and didn't arrive until six. Mm-hmm. Doors have opened. He's straight into his gear. We are literally the first match on, <laughs> and so like I'm already dressed and ready to go. He comes in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right, I'm putting my gear on. And as he's putting my gear on, he'll go, right, we'll just tie up, we'll do this, uh, and then we'll just work on the fly. You call it in the ring. Call it in the ring. And it was the first time I'd ever done that. Like, I'd done little bits of it, but generally mm-hmm. it's the first time I'd done a whole match like that. And uh, and he was like, oh, who's going over? And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm going over with, with this particular move. That's what the promoter asked for. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, mm-hmm. yeah, cool, great. And off we go. And he didn't even ask how long we had or nothing. And we did, just pretty much his music was coming on just as he was mm-hmm. pulling his shirt on. And off he went. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> Here we usually, go. 
usually if you're not given a time limit and you're out there and you're going a wee bit over, I found that if the ref kind of goes, because he gets it in the ear as well. That yeah. Go at the end. Well, this is the thing. So like, the referee had only just arrived with him. So the referee didn't even know how long <laughs> I had. And he's, he's out there for the whole show because there's only one referee. Um, and so we just, honestly, we went out there and had a great match. Um, I even pulled out a 619 for the first time without even practicing. I thought that was fun. Um, and um, uh, I was like, I think I can do this. I just did it. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we then got, got back and um, the promoter came up and he was like, that was amazing. That was so good. Uh, oh, I'm so happy that you guys practiced that, and it looked so looked so great. And, and we both just looked at each other and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, we practiced that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah." That we <laughs> do was working on the fly. Um, I think he was more happy you delayed for time to get the other wrestles in the building. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, yeah, I just remember that one being being quite silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, and I remember as well there was one time where there was a bunch of us traveling together. Um, and we often ended up get kind of getting the same list from the same people all the time. And, mm. um, we, we ended up calling ourselves the union. Um, mm. and we would, we would travel to shows and it was a case of like, we would all politic for each other and <laughs> be like, mm. Oh, put me in with him and we'll work a match together. And we kind of like became like the click. Um, and we were just mm. like politicking for each other and, and like trying mm. to get each other more bookings and going, Oh, well, if so-and-so gives me a lift, then he can mm. work a match. And, mm. Um, they were some really fun car journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember one, which actually, uh, if you speak to the guy, he'll still tell you it's probably mm-hmm. one of the funniest car journeys he ever had. A uh, mm-hmm. guy called Cayman Carlisle. Um, we were traveling back from a show mm-hmm. and um, I could do a really good Steve Austin impression. Mm-hmm. I um, do remember this. <laughs> and uh, he says to me, he goes, oh, do you think you could sing some song- some songs of Stone Cold Steve Austin? And uh, mm. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's have a crack. And he puts on a Disney song playlist. <laughs> so so the first one that comes on is Under the Sea from uh, Little mm. Mermaid. And um, so I'm like singing along. And I just Please thought, tell oh. me you cut a promo. No, just you went. Yes, yeah. You cut a promo instead of singing. Just cut a promo. No. <laughs> well, it, it kind of started as a promo and then became me singing the song, the, the bits that I knew because I don't know Disney songs. I'm not a Disney song guy. So anyway, I started doing my Stone Cold Steve Austin, and let me tell you something, brother. You're a jackass, <laughs> and I'm underneath Steve, underneath Steve, and like I just started. So when it says under the sea, it was underneath Steve. And um, we we just it. Next thing you know, like we're about half an hour into the journey. We've done sixteen different songs. We've done Lion King. We've done Akuna Matata. Akuna Matata means a wonderful beer. Give me my Steve Weisers. <laughs> so like that. I just I can't remember exactly what it was because it was all on the fly. Uh, but underneath Steve was the thing that stuck. And uh, and I remember traveling to work a match with him in Castleford mm-hmm. together. And um, and as we were driving, he, he says to me, he goes, you know, I still remember underneath Steve. And, it, and this was like three years later. And he's like, I still remember underneath Steve. It was the best car journey I ever had. Um, but that was a laugh. And I do remember at RWL once, um, Lee Garvin, who we spoke about previously, he was doing, mm-hmm. it was like, RWL does WWE or something it was. And I, I, I did Jeff Hardy. But because of my Steve Austin impression, what they did was they filmed a segment where... Um, 
Lee came out and was pretending to be Stone Cold. And mm-hmm. another guy called Ryan, I think, was pretending to be Goldberg. Mm-hmm. And they had they had Lee turn his back to the camera and just mm-hmm. wobble his head from side to side. And so then I'm stood behind the camera mm-hmm. cutting a promo with Steve Austin so that the, you think that it's actually him saying it, but it was me and you couldn't see his mouth moving. And that, and that was just hilarious. Um, like watching him trying to keep up with me talking and stuff. And oh, it was the right laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, I, I remember so much of my early wrestling days were just having fun. And I think it really oh, helps to just settle in as a wrestler to just be like, yeah, you can not take it seriously and have a bit of a laugh and do mm. some silly stuff. And you do end up becoming more comfortable in the ring that way, I think. Um, mm. And it, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a laugh. One of the sessions we do at training is we get everyone to do silly cells. Mm. So I'm, like, I'm going to punch you and I want you to sell it as sillily as you can. And um, you just see people just bouncing around the ring. And I'm like, there you go. You've now just learned how to like bounce off the middle rope rather than the top, and you're doing a shoulder roll mm. and you're taking a bump mm. and, and like and just people just prattling about. Mm. And then you're like, you've you've just you've just done three or four things there that you've been training to do for ages and not quite got mm. right because you're just being silly and just letting loose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always a fun session to do. Um, I was just wondering about the, the training. Do you also tra- train the guys to let them know not everyone as as is good or as kind-hearted as you guys you see, just so they get an idea that not everybody's, as I said, is kind or nice to talk to. They can talk nice to your face and and then be horrible to your back, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that you don't quite realise until you're in the industry, isn't it, that... Mm -hmm there are people who will stab you in the back and there are people who will badmouth you play politics. Um, and, and it, and it's a shame that that happens, but yes, like I, I've had to tell our guys, like, you know, you, the fact that you're wrestling for GT ministries means that people, people who don't like me are automatically not going to like you. Um, and there will be people saying things about us that are not true. And there will be people talking us down, and there will be people who will, you know, will say things like, oh, GTM is the Gaz Thompson show and it's all about him and mm-hmm. he's the mm-hmm. champion and all this stuff. And, you know, they, they, they don't work for us. They don't know us and never met me, but that's what they'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them to know that when they leave our training school and get out into the big wide world, mm-hmm. that not everyone is going to be their friend and mm-hmm. not everyone is going to be nice to them. But what I do also say is, they may not be nice to you, but you still have the ability to respond well to those people and for you oh. to be the person that people walk away from remembering as going, actually, he was a nice guy. He was genuinely a nice guy. And I said, because if you are that kind of person and you act like that kind of person, that reflects well on me, reflects well on GTM, mm-hmm. reflects well on you, and will only mm-hmm. do your career favors down the line when people mm-hmm. know hang on a second, you know what, even 10 years later, I'm talking to this guy and he's still just as nice as he was then. And then people can't badmouth you because they've got nothing bad to say. You know, you hope that those who do know you then defend you when you're not around. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I, what I do tell that guys. The one thing I, I, I was taught training um, that I've not, I've not really heard of being taught is there is sneaky veterans uh, uh, and 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 they do do certain things that like 
like when you're trying to get back up, you're you're selling up. They might stand on your fingers, you yeah. know stuff like that. Have you ever you ever taught them like stuff like they wee th- wee things? Just yeah. so they know how to avoid them. Yeah, so a lot of the time it's just stuff you don't know until you've done it, and then someone says, mm-hmm. "Oh, you've disrespected me," without you even realizing that was something that that you were doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was there was a thing for um, a couple of things that I remember happening. One was. Um, if you put your thumbs into your armpits mm-hmm. and you like do like chicken wings, um, like mm-hmm. when you're laid on the mat, that's like telling everyone else that this guy's crap um, mm-hmm. and isn't a good wrestler. So like, I saw a guy do that and I was like, that's, mm-hmm. that's a weird way to, to sell something. And then someone told me, oh, he's doing mm-hmm. that because he thinks that guy's crap. And I was like, that's not very nice, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then also I was like, well, that's just really disrespectful because you've just let that guy... Mm-hmm. You know, you've just wrestled that guy for fifteen minutes, and then mm-hmm. you're wanting to tell everyone that that he's not not any good. Like, why don't you just mm-hmm. have a conversation with him in the back and help him be good? You know, rather mm-hmm. than just saying, "Nah, this guy's rubbish. He didn't have a chance." Um, so I found that to be really disrespectful. And then, like mm-hmm. chops on the back as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's one that that kind of got my attention. I had someone chop me mm-hmm. on the back once, and I was like, "That's a weird thing to do." And apparently, it's like a way of like showing disrespect. Um, Oops. And, Oops. And, and, and like I've done that to people and thought well I, we were having a chop battle and he bent down so he presented his back so I chopped him on the back it wasn't I wasn't trying to disrespect him mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like there's even a match recently I did that with a guy called Jack Johnson in the title mm-hmm. match like mm-hmm. I chopped him in the front and he bent forward and I chopped mm-hmm. him on the back the first thing I said to him when I got in the back was mate I chopped you in the back I wasn't disrespecting you it's just I need to hit your back and you only presented mm-hmm. your back and he was like, "Oh yeah, cool. No, I know you weren't. I know you weren't doing that." I was like, "Well, I just want you to know definitely that that's not what I was doing, um, because I knew that that was the thing." The the reason I think people chop in the back as well is it's more surface area, because you could accidentally chop them in the throat. So that's why sometimes they do it in the back. Yeah, and 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 it's like you know, um, you get a lot more noise off a chop. You could just do a club on the back, mm-hmm. you know, but a chop on the back is easy to sell. You know, people mm-hmm. get it. People know what it's like to be slapped on the mm-hmm. back. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so yeah, it's just one of those things. But I, I, I try not to do it because mm-hmm. I'd rather, I'd rather not slap people in the back. Um, but yeah, it just, it just I was, I was unaware of some stuff. But the thing mm-hmm. is, as well, it changes all the time, and there are some areas of the country where disrespect is shown in different ways, um, and there's other mm-hmm. areas of the country where where respect is shown in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Universal is, you know, you, you shake everyone's hand when you arrive at a venue. Of course, yeah. Um, and I, you, you introduce know, I, yourself. You, you introduce. That's your way to introduce you shake and tell them your name because you don't. Not every time you know the person. Yeah, totally. And and it's not just the wrestlers either. You know, you mm-hmm. shake the hand of the sound guy. That you know mm-hmm. everyone. And um, I remember telling my trainees that, and actually saying mm-hmm. like, yeah, when you arrive at a show go around and shake everybody's hand like if we're doing a ring job and you're taking the ring like still although you're ring you must, crew, shake I, I, definitely, I definitely did that i mean i think i think even you noticed that you probably when you were doing it because i don't know if you were taught that 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 time but every i made sure that was one thing that was instilled in me is doesn't matter what level the person is that you go up and shake their hand and introduce yourself it's respect yeah, totally. And I, I think it's interesting. I've I've not had to do it for a while because I'm generally the mm. first guy there. <laughs> you mm. know, like I'm opening the venue and I'm bringing the ring in and whatever. Mm. Mm. And so it's everyone coming up to me. Um, but I did work a show in Bolton 
and uh, mm-hmm. I'd gone with the ring, and um, and I, and I arrived just after the ring got there, and people were already in setting it up, and a few wrestlers had arrived mm-hmm. early, and mm-hmm. I came in, I just instinctively just went right call to the back of the van, lifting the next thing mm-hmm. in just to get the ring in and done. And I remember mm. I was like, oh crap, I've not shook everyone's hand. I was like, oh no, no. So I like, immediately like put down this metal beam and I'm like, oh no, go, 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 go shake everyone's hand. Um, mm. And then just checked on my trainees and asked them if they'd done the same thing. I was like, have you have you shook everyone's hand? Like, have you been around? Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it, it is about showing respect. Mm-hmm. And I think it's too easy as a wrestler to think that it's all about you. But actually, mm-hmm. if the sound guy doesn't play your music, you're coming out to mm-hmm. crickets. Um, it, you know, you, if the ring crew don't put the ring up, are you going to go in there and do it? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just a lot most, more. most shows I've done, the, the like the guys who are doing the filming, security, and all that, usually are the, the trainees, I found. They're not, yeah, most of the time, guys. yeah, but still, they still deserve respect, right? Because a lot of them are there and they're not getting paid, it's volunteering, mm. you know, mm. part of paying your dues, um, and they still. You know, that could no, be what, a future what, world champion who you just disrespected no, on day one, you know? No, it wasn't that. It was the fact of, I was saying, to me, it's, they may be trainees, but I'd still go up. But I'm just saying, they might oh, not right, be yeah, specifically, yeah. they might be trainees, because I, I did it, I, I think, I hope I did it, did it with everybody, but uh, shook their hand and all that, but. I I, I, I take it you're exactly the same, you done, hope you did the same <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I tried, I tried to make sure I did it every single time, and sometimes you miss people. You know, I, I'd been, I'd been done one loop, and someone had been in the toilet or something, had come out, and I hadn't shook their hand, and I didn't know that they were there. And then, like half an hour later, I see them, like, oh hi, you know, shake, shake their hand, and I was like, oh sorry, did I not see you earlier? And like trying to cover my back a bit, but like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to. You were in the toilet. Um, but again, like, it, it is just about respect. It is just about showing each other respect, and um you know, wrestling is dangerous and mm-hmm. if someone isn't going to take the time to shake your hand, are they going to take the time to cup your head on a on a move mm-hmm. and make sure you're safe, you know? It kind of all plays into that. You've got to trust each other. So, moving a wee bit on from that, I, do you have any, like, favourite moments watching and performing, like, in the ring? Is there any, like, moments that stick out in your mind that you particularly enjoyed? Just sitting watching... And it can be either sitting in an independent show or watching it or like the mainstream ones and then ones that you're doing it specifically, you're in the ring yourself with someone. Mm. Oh, I've got loads. Um, for me, sitting at a show watching, um, mm. I remember being at a show where one of the boards broke mm-hmm. um, and it was through two big mammoth lads doing a superplex. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, I remember them hitting the whole mm-hmm. ring just bowing and then hearing this almighty smack and then a, and then like a crunch. Yeah, it was like a weird noise and you were like, that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this was in the first half of the show. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know uh, if it was main event. Well, I, no, it was middle of the show. It was first half. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember all the boys coming out and trying to fix the board underneath mm-hmm. um, while the show was going on. And then in the interval, they came out mm-hmm. and like had to kind of shimmy the boards around a bit. And then te- I, I, I remember like because I knew some of the guys, so I went into the I went into the back during the interval, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Is everything everything all right?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, the boards broke." 
So everyone's being told not to work the far right corner because we've moved the boards around. And um, there's a massive gaping hole there now, so don't go there. Um, and so I was like, oh, interested. So I remember that being like a, a really, a really cool moment to see um, in person because it was just a thunderous sound. And it really kind of made me go, wow, actually, that's that's pretty scary. Um, so I remember that. Um, I also remember um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a wrestler who goes by the name of Priscilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the name. Yeah, does a does a cross dressing gimmick, uh, transgender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so funny. Uh, but I remember being at a show, sat second row, and mm-hmm. he wears like a like a unitard kind of style mm-hmm. thing with mm-hmm. uh, like women's tights on underneath and like knee pads mm-hmm. and boots. And I remember one of his testicles popped out. Shit. But we're still under the tights, so you could see it. So it wasn't like hanging, but it was still there. Mm-hmm. And he continued to work the match with this going on mm-hmm. and got out of the ring and was like walking around ringside. And mm-hmm. all the adults were laughing and the kids were pointing. And um, he didn't realize he got back in the ring and carried on working. Mm-hmm. And then eventually mm-hmm. someone told him or told the referee, anyway, the message got back to him. You need to sort this out. And he tucked it back in. And then he mm-hmm. then like, you know, like come outside the ring and was walking around the front row going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And I was cracked up at that for like two weeks. I just, every time I saw him, I was like, have you tucked him in? Are you wearing Speedos? Are you making sure they're not coming out to join the party again? That uh, was just hilarious <laughs> to watch that. That was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then personally for me, uh, I think one of the one of the best things that I like recently enjoyed doing was we mm-hmm. did uh, the first wrestling church back in April, which as an mm-hmm. event was really cool, like to do the first one of those together. Um, but we, um, I, I lost the world title to Jack Johnson at mm-hmm. that show mm-hmm. and we did mm-hmm. a casket match. So it's the first time I'd ever done a casket match. Mm-hmm. So we built this like makeshift coffin out of pallets outside the ring. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that um, I'd, I'd lose by getting put in the casket and then we built it with a trap door so I could get under the ring. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to change from my green gear into my white gear. So I was going to wear my mm-hmm. white gear underneath. This is the white gear that didn't come in time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the lights were all going to go off. And then when they came back on, mm-hmm. I was going to be stood in the ring like The Undertaker, like just stood there. And mm-hmm. these these wrestlers, like three of them were going to turn around and then I was going to start bumping them and hitting some moves. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, that was that was like how it was going to go. But then mm. when we did it and it worked to perfection, mm. like when, when he shut the lid on that casket, the crowd went silent. Mm. You could hear a pin mm. drop. And when I came back up and came back on, the crowd mm. just erupted. And we're talking 150 people. Mm. And and it was just crazy. And I bumped these guys around. Jack mm. scarpered off. I ran mm. away. Um, and then, you know, like, it was just it was just it was bliss it was so good mm-hmm. and then just being mm-hmm. stood in the ring in that moment going you know what although i've just lost my title and we've got the bbc here filming us and like <laughs> and all this other stuff mm-hmm. i was like this is this is a special moment um mm-hmm. and then i then went off for the interval came back did a preach baptized mm-hmm. five guys um some of them who come to our training school and then mm-hmm. you know i just sat in the ring afterwards and mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd had a bit more worship. They'll they playing Enter Sandman Metallica mm-hmm. as part mm-hmm. of the wrestling worship, which was crazy. Um, and I just remember being sat in the ring and just 
tears coming down my face because I was like, we've done I'm it. So happy. We've realized we've realized the dream. Like we've done mm-hmm. it. We've made it happen. And it was just so surreal. And mm-hmm. there's there's a photo um somewhere on my Facebook of me mm-hmm. being sat in the corner of the ring with a towel because I was still wet mm-hmm. from the baptisms. Mm-hmm. And I'm like just looking at the mat and like I'm just technically crying essentially mm-hmm. of happiness. And the BBC camera just comes screaming up alongside me. And they were like, So how do you feel? And I'm like, uh. Uh, um, uh, uh, <laughs> right, I'm on camera. Get my get my character back. Get my composure back. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a very special moment. It's one I'll never forget. Um, mm-hmm. Really special moment. Um, and then another one that I could give is um, we did um, we did a charity show. Well, I'm probably thinking 2015, 2016 mm-hmm. um, for the charity that I used to work for, Christians Against Poverty, mm-hmm. and we did like an eight man tournament that night and mm-hmm. I was booked for it along with, with, with Valo, Corey, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Keefe O'Reilly, uh, some of the other guys that we know from way back at RWL. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my gallbladder out. So I, I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh man, that sucked. I was in pain for months with that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually I had it out and I had an eight week recovery period, which meant mm-hmm. I would recover with within five days of the show mm-hmm. and um i didn't <laughs> i i i'd lost a lot of weight because because i had mm-hmm. to eat like a low-fat diet so i was feeling physically really well actually by mm-hmm. the time the eight weeks rolled around and i told everyone that i'm not going to be there like mm-hmm. I, I didn't i didn't want to be there if i wasn't well enough mm-hmm. um and about two days before i thought you know what actually i think i can do this i think i can mm-hmm. wrestle the show and we did a whole thing where we had this guy called Satchel Jones, um, mm-hmm. who's a wrestler from Middlesbrough. Where, um, he was supposed to fight me, but we were like, oh, we'll give you a mystery opponent. And we had um, this other guy called Chris Hawk came out dressed mm-hmm. in my old leather pants, uh, leather pants that I told you about, mm-hmm. with the t-shirt, mm-hmm. and he had a hood up over his head and my music and everything. And the crowd mm-hmm. went went crazy. They're like, oh, Gaz is here, Gaz is here, and. Um, it's like my, my brother was there with his kids, like my nephews, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like my, my best man at my wedding. His son was there, mm-hmm. and uh, place went nuts. And there's all these kids front row wearing, wearing my t shirts and mm-hmm. stuff. Place went nuts, and um, then he pulled his hood off, and everyone was like, Oh, boo! Like, who is this oh, guy taking the <laughs> Oh, what, what, what? And so he gets in the ring, and he like lays down. He's like, Oh, just pin me, and we'll get you an easy, easy job to the next round. And um, he, he goes to referee goes down to count the cover he goes one two the lights go out mm-hmm. and then like lightning sound comes on and mm-hmm. the lights flash in and, and then everything comes back up and then i walk out onto the stage mm-hmm. and everyone knows i on a second this is definitely gas mm-hmm. and the place went crazy and there's a moment where it's, it's on my youtube channel you can find it all on there it's on mm-hmm. it's on the gt ministers website um i just smirked mm-hmm. And I couldn't hide it. I could not hide the smirk because I was like, we've got them. This crowd fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. They fell for it. And um, they've reacted exactly how I wanted them to react, exactly mm-hmm. when I wanted them to do it. And it, and that's like the power of a wrestler is to take people on that emotional journey. And then I wrestled mm-hmm. three matches that night. <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> first night back from, from gallbladder surgery and I wrestled three mm-hmm. matches. 
and uh, and won this little trophy and like you know I'm stood in the ring with the Lord Mayor who's mm-hmm. holding my mm-hmm. hand up and I think we raised about about three grand for the charity. Mm-hmm. Um, just a great great show, great event. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I had my first match with Valo, um, mm-hmm. first ever, and it's ten years after I trained with him. The first time I'd ever fought mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I hit probably one of the most picture perfect rock bottoms I've ever hit on him. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. I I open my entrance music with it now. My entrance video is this picture perfect rock bottom um, mm-hmm. on Valor. It can and, be so uh, much easy to work with that, that boy. Sometimes. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. Like and you know he's had he's had his issues with his back and stuff. And um, mm. you know, unfortunately, I don't I don't quite know if he'll ever step back in the ring again. But mm. he he is phenomenal, and he gets it. He gets the character side of stuff. He gets how to sell and how to tell a story, which mm. sets him leagues apart from most people. And he's got a unique look. He's got, you know, he's got his influences with, with him. Um, mm. And um, and he can play a devilishly good bad guy. Yes. Um, you, did you see his recent wee video with, uh, like, no wonder I am the way I am and showed his many bumps? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I, like I'm in there. Them. I'm in there, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I was at like half of them, yeah. Because the moves I did to him looked like I killed him, but I, I know for a fact that speaking to him, he felt very little. Mm. I think even you took a scoop slam off me. I did, yeah, and it was it was a breeze, nice and easy. Uh, yeah, it probably looked like I killed you, but that's all that's felt... selling, though, isn't it? That's that's yeah. what we do. Is is mm. how do I take a scoop slam, the simplest of moves, and make it look like you brought my back? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the art of selling, mm-hmm. um, but no, that that whole event was another one of those shows where I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. like we we really, mm-hmm. it's it's next level because I think you can go to a wrestling show and you can watch a wrestling show and be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, cool, I saw some good matches, but actually those mm-hmm. moments for me were like the crowd were that into it that mm-hmm. you know the reactions I was seeing were not the reactions of people who didn't know me. These are reactions of people who like genuinely wanted to see me win and genuinely mm-hmm. kind of felt for me and, and were with me. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. that, that really for me was, was really special. Yes. It, w- it, would, it would be amazing. That sort of thing. So on the other, the flip side of things, uh, I, I probably not worded it right uh, correctly, but you can, you can get, they get the gist of it. What was your worst or most hated moments within, like watching wrestling, or performing? That could be you we like pet hates with uh, certain things within wrestling that you you see, uh, like like in the the, the like WWE and AEW or it's moments you've watched like uh, matches you've not really liked or uh, stuff like that. Um, I really. As much as I loved the match, um, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I really didn't like um, mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar winning the streak. Mm-hmm. There was there was just something about it that made me feel like Brock Lesnar didn't need it. Very jarring. Yeah, and it and it felt it felt to me like, oh, this could have gone on to Bray Wyatt. This could have gone on to Roman Reigns. This could have gone mm-hmm. to CM Punk. Like mm-hmm. there was, there was other guys who could have really benefited from this, mm-hmm. and I felt that Lesnar was a waste. But mm-hmm. actually, in hindsight, and this is why this is why I said in hindsight I didn't enjoy it at the time. Mm-hmm. But actually, mm-hmm. if you then look at the career Lesnar's had since then, mm-hmm. um, he 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 just murdered John Cena 
that same year and went on to hold the title and establish himself as, you know, if Brock Lesnar appears, people are going to get murdered. <laughs> and, um, and and actually seeing, you know, where is that now where he's flipped it into like a baby face style thing or whatever. But essentially what that did was that established Brock Lesnar as, as the big bad threat. Mm-hmm. And I think WWE really needed that at the time, mm-hmm. like a legitimate threat mm-hmm. of of he he could he could just destroy anyone. And it's, it's something something I said is that that legitimate threat of uh, he could actually kill you, legitimate threat. And there's yeah. very few wrestlers that you can see and point and go, that person could li- literally put me in hospital. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's come from wrestling becoming so much more, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Smooth, maybe? Mm-hmm. Smooth? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you see Roman Reigns throwing a Superman punch, you know, like, oh, that mm-hmm. looks nice, but the punch itself doesn't ever look mm-hmm. like it would legit knock you out. Um, but Brock Lesnar sticking his elbows in your forehead and cutting you open mm-hmm. so you gush blood all over the map. Yeah, if he grabbed you, you'd be dead. You know, mm-hmm. like just flinging people around like nothing. So I thought that was originally at the time that really jarred me because um, mm-hmm. I thought, well, who else is going to take it? Um, and actually it should have gone to someone who could have built on it. But um, actually I do think in, in a roundabout way, it was the right thing to do um, mm-hmm. because it just, it just put him steps ahead of everyone else at that point. Um, I think that uh, personally, I think when it comes to the Undertaker, anybody who bet, beat him would have been jarring. Oh yeah, by that point, definitely. Yeah, yeah, by that point, certainly, um, because that it becomes such a stalwart of like, well, no one's ever going to beat him. Taker's going to end his career with this, and I think that's what mm-hmm. everyone expected. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, that was interesting. Um, and I think one that's kind of like personal, like mm-hmm. at shows, things at Jami. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a few. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, that does my head in a little bit is mm-hmm. when you show up to a show mm-hmm. and you're not given a time limit, you're not really told ahead of time what's happening, you're given no direction for your match, mm-hmm. um, there's no rhyme or reason to anything that's mm-hmm. happening, mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a case of, yeah, um, go out, work, work your match, and you're losing or you're winning and that mm-hmm. and that's the deal. My and I just, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't like that. I just don't like that because I'm like you. You've you've got an audience here who want a story. That's mm-hmm. what they expect. My my experience is it's almost like quite a lot of the places are like that. They just throw together matches. They try to have a semblance of a storyline, but it's only a main few people yeah. who have that storyline, and you're just thrown in just as a filler match almost. Well, it's like you know with. With my touring stuff, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me to travel to Swindon, for instance, mm-hmm. and expect my audience to come with me because they won't. Um, mm-hmm. But the audience in Swindon still deserve a night where they can understand mm-hmm. what's going on and actually mm-hmm. have a have a resemblance of a story. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, your main event is the thing you want people to stick around for. So you need to set your main mm-hmm. event up in the first segment of the show. You can't just tell people, oh, it's wrestler A versus wrestler B and they're good wrestlers. Mm. Because mm. not even the MCs say that. They just say, oh, mm. we're going to have a night of wrestling. Here's the mm. first match. And you're like, all right, fine. Um, and then each match just kind of becomes a bit monotonous. It's good guy versus bad guy. Mm. And it's singles matches all the way through. There's no tags. There's barely ever any women's matches. Mm. 
you might see a gimmick match, but it's generally a mess. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, how 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 do you not think to build a card mm-hmm. of we'll set up the main event in the first match, we'll have a bit of drama, a bit of a promo, mm-hmm. you know, could be something as simple as wrestler A comes out and picks on the crowd and picks on mm-hmm. the locality. Wrestler B comes out and challenges them to a match in the main event. Mm-hmm. They have a bit of a fight. It's a pull-apart brawl, and there you go. You're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Even that one little segment of five minutes mm-hmm. sets up your main event better than, oh, it's just Wrestler A mm-hmm. versus Wrestler B. And, and that does but, my head in, because it's so easy to do. Because I was so used to it, like just turning up and you had to make the best of what you were, I think that may have helped. I mean, even you, it, may, it probably helped you to the point where, okay, they're not going to give me anything. I have to make it, I have to give everything to the audience myself, not anything pre-thing, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, there's always um, there's always an element of you t- t- making the most of your minutes and making the most mm. of what, what you're doing in the ring. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm not saying that from like, I want that for my match. I'm saying like, mm. I want that for the audience. I want oh. the audience to know that the main event is going to be a big fight feel and that they've got mm. some emotional investment into wrestler A versus wrestler B. And it makes mm. it easier for them in their match mm. later. Um, and, and you know, whenever I put a show on, I would always do that. Just that one simple thing. I'd often do it with mm. the church leader, right? So I'd have the vicar come out to open the show and then have mm. a bad guy come out and start on the vicar. Because you know you don't you don't mm. pick on a man of the cloth, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that generally got a negative reaction from the crowd. And then mm-hmm. a good guy would come out and be like, "Oh, don't pick on him. Why don't you pick a fight with me? I'll fight mm-hmm. you in the main event. All right, yeah, let's have a fight. They have a bit of a punch up, mm-hmm. and the other uh, bad guy scarpers off. You made mm-hmm. events set, right? You know, know who the good guy is. You know who the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. You've done all that work in the beginning mm-hmm. of the show, and the crowd wants to stick around till the end. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I just I just think it's such a simple storytelling device that if you don't have regular fans and you don't have regular storylines, mm-hmm. you can at least do that one thing. So that one night, mm-hmm. the audience have at least one thread of something that resembles what mm-hmm. they expect from TV. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing. It's like watching wrestling in a working men's club. The kids mm-hmm. are coming expecting WWE because that's what they watch on telly. Mm-hmm. And when they get there and the ring skirts are not ironed and the mats mm-hmm. dirty, and the ropes mm. colors don't make any sense and the staging mm. is just cloth hung up over flipping you know curtain rails like i'm like come on <laughs> like it's just we, an show, man i've worked in so we, many we, venues like that and it's just ugh. yes we were we were we've been a few a part of a few of them yeah yeah and it just it just it just makes me feel like they don't respect their audience enough to make the effort you know oh we're just a wrestling of course it's budget, yeah, but like the money that they spent on that mm. stuff is money that they're expecting to recoup back from ticket sales. If you can't mm. afford to be running shows and do them well, then don't run them. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I know mm. one company that's got more title that's like been buying championship belts mm. continuously mm. and not paying any of their wrestlers. And I'm mm. like, well, if you can afford to buy title belts, you can afford to pay your wrestlers, which is mm-hmm. which is definitely something you should be doing. But you can also oh, yes. afford to to spend a little bit of money on your staging and on your ring and make like I went out and purposefully bought purple um, flipping duct tape so that mm-hmm. I could tape up all the ropes so they were all purple and match the branding of the show mm-hmm. um, and 
and they all were uniform. Otherwise, I had a thin white rope mm. and two thick black ropes. And I was like, no, I want them all to be purple. So I went out mm. and bought some purple tape and taped them all up. Like, like why not? Like it was it was a simple buy. It was like a fiver for the duct mm. tape. That's that's nothing. And um, yeah, it's just it's just things like that. Just I mean, there's a lot of like the way that it looks and the way that it feels is a bit of a gripe I have a lot of the time. Um, mm. And just like not using the lighting correctly, um, having venues that are too small, trying to fit a ring in with no roof space. That's another one that does my head in. <laughs> not because I'm a high you. flyer, but like even taking a suplex with the low roof is hard because you can't fully extend. Um, see, where, just, yeah. see when I was wrestling he, up here in Dumfries, um, uh, see so try to get a ring into the man's club that we were wrestling in. You had to pull the stuff upstairs through mm. a like only double like think of a double like how wide a double door is. That's how much we had to pull them up, uh, like ah. a staircase. It's just it again. It just makes me feel like they've not thought it through. You know, like mm-hmm. they put the venue probably because it's cheap, um, mm-hmm. and it and it might even be free if they they take a take in on the mm-hmm. bar, and mm-hmm. it just it, again it just makes me feel like well you just not you're not giving the audience exactly mm. what they want and you're not giving the wrestlers mm. what they want like if you watch a gtm show mm-hmm. you'll see we've got miss machines we've got flashing lights we've got the big screen mm-hmm. the ropes are all uniform the mats clean the apron's got the logos on the staging mm-hmm. is out we've got a commentary team you know like we've mm-hmm. got everything that you would expect on on wwe mm-hmm. tv mm-hmm. um and we rec- we live stream everything so that the wrestlers mm-hmm. have the footage straight away to use mm-hmm. um and everyone's got an entrance video, mm-hmm. um, like that. That's the quality I expect from a wrestling show these days, mm-hmm. and and that's the quality I want to put out because I think that's what the fans deserve. Mm-hmm. And they only pay a fiver for a ticket to come to our shows, mm-hmm. which is really cheap considering what we're doing. Um, and you know, we we still we still make a profit. Like we're not we're not running at a loss, and everyone mm-hmm. gets paid. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just. Yeah, it just does my head in when mm-hmm. when you go to these venues and it's just like, ugh, I'm gonna have to sit for two hours in a sticky venue that that stinks with a half broken ring and a roof that's too low mm-hmm. and six wrestlers that all look the same wearing t shirts and flipping shorts. Mm-hmm. Does my head in. <laughs> Here comes one of my my most favorite question because because people don't see what the daily life of independent wrestlers or even the retro like the ones in WWE mm. I like I like to know how hard is it dealing with like basically ordinary life like your 95 job how that is and then going before going out there and performing and you've had this great amazing match as you said there and then the mm. next day you're going into work where you you feel like you're just you're an average Joe where you felt like this massive, you, you feel like it in the point in time, you know you're not, but you feel like it, that you're this big massive thing, and mm. then when you go, you, you brought Brown shatter into earth the next day. <laughs> um, Well, if I were to give you an idea of what my life looks like at the moment, that that would probably help. Mm. So I've got, you know, I, I'm married to my wife Beth, and I've got two little girls, Isabella who's two, and Isla mm. who's ten months. Um, mm. I get up at, half six seven o'clock every morning mm-hmm. with with isla and then mm-hmm. i get isabella up at 7 30 mm-hmm. give her breakfast my wife gets up about eight half eight i make mm-hmm. her a coffee and breakfast then i go get dressed and i start work at nine o'clock 
Mm-hmm. Um, my job is um, I work for a charity that um, helps churches and organizations house the homeless. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. we'll buy properties um, and we'll we'll train people up in you know, mm-hmm. safeguarding and support plans, all that kind of stuff. And um, I mm-hmm. cover the whole of Yorkshire. So my day, mm-hmm. any day can look different. Like today I've been mm-hmm. at my desk at home most of the day. Tomorrow I could be traveling to mm-hmm. Sheffield or traveling to Hull or I was in Leeds yesterday and Manchester mm-hmm. the day before that. Like I could be all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And then I get home at five. I sort the girls' tea out and clean up. I cook our tea, clean up, mm-hmm. put Isla to bed, put Isabella to bed. Um, and then I eventually at about eight o'clock, actually sit down with my wife and have a conversation mm. that that's my day <laughs> every day mm-hmm. <laughs> um so that's hard work um mm-hmm. sometimes around that i've got to fit in you know mm-hmm. uh running my business and ministry mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i've got to get to the gym if i can mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then on show days they tend to be on mm-hmm. saturdays or fridays mm-hmm. so um it would be a case of same morning as usual but then around like midday, I'll leave, get mm-hmm. to the venue, putting the ring up and whatever, practicing, um, mm-hmm. making sure the show's going to run well. And then mm-hmm. the doors open at 6.30, show starts at 7. I'll wrestle about 8 mm-hmm. o'clock, mm-hmm. Um, have my match, dry down, get dressed, put the ring down. That can take a couple hours. Um, and then like 11 o'clock to midnight, sometimes later, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, I then get home and I pretty much just shower bed mm-hmm. wake up the next day at seven o'clock with my girls mm-hmm. as though it never happened mm-hmm. um and you know that's it must that's be it for me I, I think you obviously you experience the highs um mm, when you're out there and you're doing it and then when you get back into day-to-day life it is a bit kind of you want to tell everyone you're like oh, i wrestled this match and it was really cool and it was great but at midnight my wife's you asleep my girls are asleep i can't tell anyone um the next day i'm straight into work like mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I don't even get to watch my matches back unless I'm on a train ride, and I'm like, oh, cool, I'll watch it back mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, yeah, it it does feel like a completely different world. But I will tell you, mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. I'm at a show mm-hmm. is so much fun because mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about my kids, I'm not thinking about work. I'm just mm-hmm. able to just shoot the breeze with people and talk and laugh and play pranks and mm-hmm. and just just have fun for a few mm-hmm. hours and then come away mm-hmm. from that having been around every pe- you know these people you consider mm-hmm. friends um and those relationships you build in and just get to see people mm-hmm. that you maybe not seen for a couple of months um maybe have a mm-hmm. beer after the show while you're putting the ring down like all that stuff is is totally mm-hmm. worth it um mm-hmm. but i also think weirdly I'm in a kind of I'm at an interesting point in my career where people who come to my shows in Bradford particularly they see me sometimes during the week so mm-hmm. I like I like be out at a church like doing mm-hmm. something and then one of these guys will just walk up and be like oh I saw you wrestling on Saturday or I'll be on the train with someone and like, oh I came to your show or they'll drop me a Facebook message or they'll mm-hmm. you know we, we did this angle where I apparently got injured um at the last Mm -hmm. show and -hmm. i had so many people messaging me saying are you okay oh i heard you got a concussion i I saw you got attacked are you all right are you sure you're okay did he need to bring you anything Mm -hmm. and i'm like where has all this come from they know it's fake Mm -hmm. right (laughs) like you know i'm not really hurt 
But like mm-hmm. that really made me think, oh, there's mm-hmm. some people out there who genuinely care and mm-hmm. and who who actually cannot tell the difference between Gaz Thompson and Gareth Angel. You know, like they think I'm just mm-hmm. just a normal regular guy who actually wrestles and that people genuinely want to hurt me. Um mm-hmm. which is which is a lot of fun. Um but yeah, like I, I think yeah, I'm in this and with the BBC coverage and other stuff, I'm at a weird point in my career where people mm-hmm. genuinely pay attention to what I'm doing and see what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I can talk to some people about it because the you know the charity I work for, my partners are all over the country, but they want to bring their residents to our shows and they watch mm-hmm. what I'm doing, and so I'll go visit them and I'll be like, oh, I saw your show on Saturday, how was it? The match was good, so I do get to talk about it, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, you know, I know some wrestlers who their wrestling is they do it on a Saturday and no one ever talks to them about it. And they, mm-hmm. they go home to their normal, you know, nine to five job. They don't have a family. They just, you know, the only time they ever really see people is mm-hmm. when they're wrestling. And you can see why some people, you know, in the wrestling world can find it hard. Um, mm-hmm. Having that massive high and wanting to keep that high, but then mm-hmm. their normal week doesn't give them that. And you can see why some people really struggle with their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it is two completely different worlds. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of, that's my, uh, my normal week, I guess. Mm-hmm. So on to our <clears throat> last question. Um, so what, what do you feel your plans and your goals for the future? I, I know, I know you're a man of faith, so you might know this, this saying, uh, when you've got pl- a plans, God laughs. Yeah. So even though taking into that mind, you will probably have plans and you'll have goals for the future. What what are they? Um, I think my immediate plans are um I'm taking a bit of a break from GTM for a couple of months mm-hmm. and I've I've installed a bit of a team to kind of handle things while I mm-hmm. focus a little bit more on my family. Um mm-hmm. I my immediate plans are to just kind of be a good dad and be a good husband and to mm. see my girls grow up a bit before I go back to wrestling again. Um, mm. I just realized that it's really hard for my wife to be putting both girls to bed when I'm not there. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And although that's only once a month or once a week when I'm at training, um, mm-hmm. it, it is a lot to ask. Um, and so I'm just going to take a bit of a break to, to kind of help her until my girls are a bit older and, mm-hmm. and I've sleep trained them a bit. That's the whole thing. Sleep training children. Mm. Um, but you know that's that's my immediate goal um, is to just mm-hmm. just be a good dad and husband. But then you know six months to to ten months from now, I'm hoping that you know GTM has continued to mm-hmm. to grow and build. That the that the school has got mm-hmm. more more people coming. We plan mm-hmm. to have our own space kitted out soon with our own ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some mm-hmm. funding applications out there to get that done. So I'm hoping that'll be done by April, May time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to start touring again late next year. So we've already got some mm-hmm. churches getting in touch and saying, oh, can you come do something for us? Can you come do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at late next year going on tour again, um, which mm-hmm. would be great because that's a lot more experience for our guys. Um, mm-hmm. And just traveling the country is just a lot of fun. Um, and and then, you know, like I'm, I'm still doing a lot of stuff with, with mm-hmm. you know, speaking at churches so you know doing men's breakfasts and mm. podcasts and interviews and stuff like that so um mm-hmm. i've still kind of got all lot all that going on in the background too so um you know one of my goals is to you know look at potentially securing a a deal with you know like a christian tv company maybe 
um, and mm-hmm. starting to run GTM shows on a more regular basis. Um, nice. So that that would be cool if we can secure that. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I've got some stuff in the background going on around like potentially starting my own podcast, mm-hmm. um, speaking to wrestlers about their faith, um, and mm-hmm. and having like really interesting characters on there. Um, mm-hmm. people who are like you know leaders in the world of, of Christians and mm-hmm. ministry and stuff um, and just talking to them mm-hmm. about what they wrestle through in their leadership journeys um, mm-hmm. and and then you know like my own church you know I'm still kind of looking at down the line of, of church leadership and like what does that look like so mm-hmm. I, I'm never a guy to sit still although I am taking a break from some stuff I've got other things cooking away in the background mm-hmm. um but you know, ultimately, I, I I reckon by the time I'm forty, I'll probably mm-hmm. stop wrestling, um, full time at least, and focus more on the coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I've I've got I've got some plans still to to keep going mm-hmm. over the next few mm-hmm. years, and get to get about a few different places. But yeah, mm-hmm. just a few different things going on really. Um, and the last thing to basically promote promote anything you've got going on, and like any links you want, just send me along them, and I'll make sure they're put onto the the wee bit to explain the the interview if you want. But if you yeah, want, yeah. Uh, just any upcoming events, uh, just basically promote everything you've got, just so you get your <laughs> name. Yeah, so um, I think the first thing to do is to get on gtministries.co.uk, get on our website. Um, that mm-hmm. has all of our events on, all of our past shows that you can watch back. The roster, you can learn about the wrestlers. Um, can sign up to a wrestling school if you want to come learn to wrestle with us. That's all on there. Um, mm-hmm. And then anything new that we do, like that'll all come out through through the website. And then on mm-hmm. social media, um, we use the same handle for everything. Mm-hmm. So YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. It's all at GT Ministries UK. At GT Ministries UK. So mm-hmm. if you put that handle in you'll find us. Um, mm-hmm. So follow us on socials. We've always got cool stuff going on. Um, mm-hmm. And and then, you know, if you're, if you're near near Bradford and you want to come along, um, we've got November, um, November 12th, uh, which mm-hmm. is our next show called Sold Out. Um, that'll be, that'll mm-hmm. be a cracker. Um, and then in December, December 10th is like our Christmas mm-hmm. show. And that's like wrestling church. So that'll have worship and a baptism and that kind of stuff as well going on. So you can come to a normal show in November or to a wrestling church show in December. Um, and we've got dates throughout 2023 on there as well. So um, yeah, just check us out. Come find us. It's been amazing talking to you, Gareth. It's been a while. We need to keep uh, keeping more in touch, but yeah, it's been phenomenal. And thank you for taking your time out your your busy schedule just to speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, man. It's cool. Like I said, we're mates. You know, nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong with catching up and and talking. And you know, this stuff for mm. me is um, is just all really interesting stuff. I love talking about wrestling. I love talking about what we're doing. Um, and hopefully just giving people something to think about and go away with. Um, and, you know, they can always come find us, come see what we're up to. But, yeah, you know, never you never know, bro. Once you um, get yourself all sorted out and get yourself back in the ring, you never know. Might get you down to Bradford and make that match happen. Because I could yes. just book it now, mate, me versus you. I could just book it. <laughs> yeah, I have definitely need to have a word with you about that one. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Um, and that is it.
was a Quite the Thing media production.